You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.com, or you can go to our new webpage at letstalktorah.net. Everything is there. You can hit, please hit our donate button, help the show, help us grow, help us spread out. Um, you want a shout out? There's a place to leave a message for me. Uh, congratulations, bar mitzvah, wedding, anniversary, whatever you want. You let me know, and we can give you a shout out on one of our future shows. So you just go to that letstalktorah.net uh, backslash donate. Um, but it's all there. It's easy to find. You can leave me a message. It's a great page. Go find all the old shows there. You can sign up for any uh, platform that you listen to your podcast on. It's really great. So um, this week, this week, the name of the game is Slander. Lashon Hara. Torah portions, Tazria, Mitzorah. And these are the Torah portions that we talk about slander. We talked about a lot in the last show. The Torah itself is just discussing the leprosy per se, the tzara'as, the how we, uh, um, what is it, what do we do? We go to the priest, we go to the Kohen, he tells us it's tzara'as, there's a process. If we, if we have the tzara'as, he declares that we have tzara'as, and we're a mitzorah, and we have to go out of the city. And then this week's Torah portion gets more into... The second portion, I'm sorry, the Mitzvah portion gets more into when it goes away, what do we do? And we're going to spend time talking about that. What the Torah doesn't discuss is why it happened. So we spent a lot of time in the last show, so we're not going to really go into it now. But if you're listening to this show out of order, um, really go back to the last show. And we talked about why the Torah doesn't tell me what I did wrong to be receiving this punishment. It is interesting. Um... And it works pretty good, um, especially if you understand that the leprosy, the tzaras in this Torah portion, is a spiritual disease, not physical. So we can understand why it doesn't exist nowadays. As leprosy does exist, but you wouldn't go to a Kohen nowadays. You would go to a doctor. In those days, you went to the Kohen, not because the Kohen, the priest, is a doctor. He's not a doctor. But he knows how to take care of spiritual maladies. That's what he can do. But since the process of tzaras, the only way to be completely healed is to go through a purification process, which means first we're going to take two birds. We're going to get a bowl, a pottery bowl. We're going to fill it up with water. And we're going to slaughter one of the birds and have the blood go into the bowl. We're going to take the second bird, with a, with a hyssop grass and a red string and a cedar branch. We're going to dip them into the bowl. We're going to spritz it towards the mitzvah, and then we're going to have it fly away. And then we're gonna, the mitzvah has to bring sacrifices in the temple. There's no temple, right? We can't bring sacrifices. 
So there's no way to go through the purification process. If you can't go through the purification process, what exactly would be the point of God giving somebody leprosy when it can't be fixed? Going away is not good enough. Because once the Kohen declares that the person is a Mitzorah, that he has this leprosy, this spiritual malady called Saras, once that's declared, the only way to finish the purification process is with sacrifice. We don't have sacrifices, so we can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of it, so no point in starting. So therefore, there is no, again, not the modern-day leprosy. There is no Tsaras today because we have no temple. We have no way of fixing it up, so we don't have it. You know, again, it's interesting, right? In other words, the, speaking Lashon Haro, we try to tell people to be careful not to speak. People should take time where they don't do any talking. We talk about with children and adults, but it's vicious. It, it's just something that we, we all live with and we all battle it. And why do we do it? Maybe you want power. Maybe you need to be the guy in the know. Maybe you need to add to a conversation, right? But you should have in mind... If you're the kind of person that gossips, you should be concerned what people are saying about you behind your back. If you're the person that doesn't gossip, usually they're not talking behind your back, you hope. And if they are, who cares? Right? Like, who cares? So he saw something really quite fascinating. So as we discussed in the last show that the punishment, the measure for measure of the Mitzvah is going to be separated from people. And it is, it is fascinating. It was because he caused jealousy. He caused people to separate. So not only is his punishment that he receives this tzaras, right? that's just the sign. Right? He's got to leave the city and interesting enough, anybody who comes near him, if he's, you know, uh, he's hanging out outside his cave and he sees people taking a hike, they can't come over to schmooze with him. What happens is they, he's going to yell out, I'm Tameh, I'm Tameh, Abtsaras, stay away from me. Um, now, first of all, what happens is when you do that, when I call out, not me, and when a person calls out that he has tzaras and his tummy stay away, that will cause people to pray for him. Not only that, it actually obligates people to pray for him. Um, it's true, of course, that he has to repent. Um, and we've talked um, many times, been part of my conversation uh, by on Passover and stuff uh, with my class, with my kids, um, that, he, of course, this mitzorah, this this person with the tzaras, with the leprosy, has to repent. But repenting is never enough. You also have to pray. First of all, we, we, we do it in prayer, right? Um, in, our, in, in, our, in our prayers, we say that Hashem, right, God, you should forgive us, right? That has nothing to do with repenting. Repenting, I say, what I did wrong, I'm not going to do it again, I work on myself, and now I have to ask for forgiveness, right? I have to pray, so there's two parts, just like in Haggadah, the, the, uh, the Jewish people in Egypt, even though it was time for God to take them out and to get the process rolling and to speak to Moses by the, 
by the burning bush and to bring Moses down and to bring the ten plagues and, and get the Jewish people out, with all that, we first needed the Jewish people to pray. By Yitzhak, it says. It was important for the Jewish people to pray because the process is not going to start until we pray. So besides that this guy, hopefully, by the cave is repenting, but when he calls out that he's Tomei, that he has this affliction, that that will have people pray for him, and those prayers will lead to the leprosy going away. Again, if it's physical, then it's almost like miraculous that it goes away. If it's spiritual, we understand much easier, right? There was a spiritual malady, you repented, so God takes it away. He put it there, he takes it away. If it's physical, it's amazing, right? They were saying that it's not going away because of medicine. It's going to go away because the person repented and the person prayed. Okay, so the guy comes and takes it away. What's the big deal? So, but besides that, which is all part of the, the process, the repentance process, is if you look at the objects that we're using in the, in the purification process, I told you there's a red string, a little string. There's this grass called hyssop grass. It's a very low-growing grass. And this cedar branch. And it's symbolic to say you were a haughty fellow. You were a big shot. You were like that tall, gigantic cedar tree. And you thought you were great. And you thought you could say whatever you wanted about people. Okay? You found out you can't. So now you're alone. Hopefully, I mean, it's hard to imagine a guy is a big shot or a haughty when he's in a cave by himself. Like, you're a big shot about what? No one's talking to you. No one has anything to do with you. Who knows what people are saying about you, right? So you have to humble yourself. The process dictates that you must humble yourself. So you lower yourself, and you're going to be like that low grass, that low hyssop grass. You're going to be humble. Humble just means, humble doesn't mean I'm allowed to know I'm smart. I'm allowed to know I'm fast. I'm allowed to know I'm strong. I'm allowed to know that I'm talented. Humble just means that I don't give myself credit for it. I am not the one that's accomplishing anything. God's accomplishing everything. I was successful in business, successful in my Torah study, successful in raising my children. So I could blame myself. Now I'm haughty. I can blame God. Okay, now I'm humble, right? Once I recognize it's all coming from God, that's exactly what I'm looking for, right? So he has to humble himself. Calling out, I need you to pray for me, is humbling. That is what we want the Mitzvah to do. That is part of the process. And when he'll go back to town, he's not going to want to slander anymore, because a humble person is not interested in slandering. Um, now, that's one side of the coin. The truth is, there's really a, a, another, it's not just humble, but it probably goes into the same category and it always reminds me of one of my favorite stories. I think most people's favorite stories are stories that happen to them because they're the best ways to learn. So when I was in 11th grade, so I had a best friend, We'll call him David. And David was the kind of guy that it was a little hard to be friendly with him. He wasn't, he was probably, again, what you call a nerd. 
And he was harder to be a friend with, but he was my best friend. I was friendly with everybody, but he was my best friend. He probably didn't have too many other friends in school. Probably not, but I was really his, his at least looking back, I think I was his best friend. I used to go to him for weekends. I loved hanging out with his family, a lot of siblings. I, I loved it. Anyways, so we're walking upstairs, and it was a three-story building with staircases on the ends, and it was a narrow building. You basically had a hallway in the middle, and the and you had rooms on both sides. So on the third floor, there were dormitory rooms on both sides. On the second floor, there were classrooms on both sides. And the bottom floor was like a lunchroom on one side, the library study hall on the other side. And again, you had these staircases going up. So you went up the staircase, and you went around the bend, and then you walked down the hallway. Anyways, there was a great alcove to hide in when people came around the stairs and you could jump out and yeah, I don't know, it was a hiding place. I'm not sure why it was built there, but it was there. So the next guy, we'll call him Srilly. So Srilly is waiting for us, has a cup of water in his hand and he yells out, hey David, and he throws a cup of water at him. He wanted to throw the cup of water at me because I was everybody's friend. Like, why are you throwing water at me? But he and David didn't get along. So, ha-ha, we're like 11th graders. So he threw a cup of water at him. My friend turned around and decked him. He knocked his lights out. He, he, seven stitches over his, uh, one of his eyes. I don't remember which one. After my friend reacted and knocked him to the floor, so I yelled at the guy in the floor, Srilly, you deserve it. It's your fault. You deserve everything you get. And I told my friend to run. Three days later, when Shirley gets back to school with a big bandage over his eye, so he comes over to me, and he was a pretty open guy. He says to me, Tzvi, he says, I know it's not nice that I threw a cup of water, but that I deserve to get punched? Why did you say it was my fault? Why did you make me the bad guy? I said, tell you the truth, Shirley. I said... I was afraid you were going to kill him. So I figured if I yell at you, he'll have time to run down the hallway. So, and this person, Srilly, um, accepted the answer. As I got older, and it wasn't right away, it was probably years later, I realized that was not the reason I yelled at Srilly. Maybe I could pretend that that's the reason. That was not the reason. The real reason I yelled at Srilly is because David was my friend. My friend can't do anything wrong. So if, this, if, if there was a skirmish over here and David is my friend, it doesn't matter what David did. Srilly is wrong because David, my friend, can't do anything wrong. Right? It's a very, very important thought. If you love someone... That someone can't do anything wrong. I mean, the best example, of course, is, right, you know, all the, uh, the mafia mothers, right? Or anybody. It doesn't matter. Take any, any criminal. They robbed a bank. They murdered somebody. It doesn't matter the crime. But the, char- but the boy's mother, or girl for that matter, and the mother said, my child? My child could never commit that crime. My child is the best child ever. No, look, look, we, we have video. We, we have witnesses doesn't matter. My child can't do anything wrong. And I really hope that every child, that their mother is standing there protecting them to the bitter end. 
Eh, mothers are not supposed to be so honest. Mothers should be defending their child because if you love a person, the person can't do anything wrong. There must be another explanation, which is really an amazing thought. I told over the story to my class. This is usually the time of year when I tell it over during these Torah portions because, again, I could never speak slander about my friend. He's my friend. My friend can't do anything wrong. If we would all love each other, just love each other. If you have a real love, you can't slander that guy or girl. You only slander people you're jealous of. Um, you want to put them down. You're trying to climb over them. You love the person. Why would you do that? It, it, it's not happening. And the funny thing is, maybe it's not funny. Even now when I'm telling you over this story, I do not feel that my friend did anything wrong. I mean, I know in my brain that, of course, you shouldn't be punching somebody in the head just because he threw a glass of water at you. I mean, like, come on, like, get over it. It was a joke, right? I understand that. But deep down, I don't think that I feel my friend did anything wrong, right? And I'm being honest because he's my friend. And my friend can't do anything wrong, which leads to a lot of other things, right? Then we have to be careful, right? Sometimes if somebody needs advice, uh, you know, that he's doing, you know, if he's going in the wrong direction, a friend is not always the best person to go to because the friend is blinded by the friendship. He doesn't want to ruin the friendship. For some people, they don't want to ruin the friendship. For some people, you're my friend. I can't believe you did anything wrong. It must be the other person's fault. Right? Husband and wife, maybe there's some strife going on. Don't go talk to your friend. Your friend's on your side. No, they're not going to give you the true picture. Go to clergy, go to rabbi, go to somebody who can look at both of you with an honest, open eye, and then you'll find out exactly what happened. So that's always my favorite, as we say, Lush and Horror story. So um, in any case, so the end of the Torah portion, there's another kind of leprosy, which this clearly, I mean, I guess you'd call it mold, but really, really, this is... Uh, a leprosy that's for sure spiritual. And that is, the Torah tells us that when we go into the land of Israel and there will be, it's like a straight command, or a straight statement is a better word, there will be leprosy on the houses. Now why? And it's a house. Okay, so obviously, if there's some type of leprosy on the house, it's because I did something wrong, so my house is being affected. But why is it automatic that there will be leprosy? So very fast. And there's, there's rules. It wouldn't happen to a modern house nowadays, or at least it shouldn't happen to a modern house nowadays because the building specs wouldn't work. Because um, the Torah actually says uh, the, uh, the stone and dirt and wood, like there's a certain way the house had to be built and, and, and the color of the walls, whatever. But the bottom line is when the Jewish people leave Egypt and they were heading towards Canaan, they were heading towards the land of Israel. So it was, it was well known since the time of Abraham, since God had spoken to Abraham by the Treaty of the Pieces and the Brisbane Absarim and, and God tells Abraham that your children are going to be slaves in a land that's not theirs for 400 years. And 
And um, after they leave, they're going to go to the land of Israel. And God said, I'm going to give them the land of Israel. So Abraham must have told everybody. God told me that we're going to be slaves in a land that's not ours. And when we come out, we come back and we are going to conquer the land of Israel. Or God is going to conquer the land of Israel for us. And, uh, okay, so the world knew about this. So we leave Egypt. Many miracles. The, uh, the Red Sea split, right? So the world knew, right? All the people living in Canaan, in the land of Israel, knew where we were headed. They knew what was going to happen next. So they were petrified. Torah tells us they were petrified. So if you're petrified about an invading army, the first thing you're worried about is, where do I put all my money? Where do I put my gold and silver? I will survive. I won't survive. I don't want the army to get it. So they would hide it in the walls. In those days, I tell my class, they had very thick walls in those days. Um, the idea of these thick walls, actually, um, in the Muncie area, Rockland County, um, I don't know why they're there, but all over the place, you find like these low walls. Maybe they're property dividers. They're all over the place in Rockland County. Um, and they're, they could be a couple feet thick. Now, they're not very high. You can walk over them. But they're all over the place. So when they built walls in those days, even a regular house, right, they didn't have our bricks or our, our two-by-fours or our, uh, our metal um, whatever, uh, whatever they use in construction nowadays. Right? We can build pretty thin walls. Right? How thick are the walls of your house already? Six inches? Four inches? By the time you're done with the sheetrock and the both sides and siding on the outside and your two-by-four and the sheetrock and maybe some, uh, some filler, Four inches, five inches. Our walls are not thick. Their walls could be two, two feet thick, a foot and a half thick, thick walls. So they would hollow out an area of the wall. They would put all their gold and silver and jewelry into the wall and reseal it up. So now, so now the, the Jewish people are conquering the land of Israel and you're going to take their houses. Now, how are you going to find all the gold and silver? Are you going to knock down everybody's house? And if you don't find, and you didn't even know, right? If you're the conquering Jewish people, you do not know that people hid gold and silver in their walls. So God says, I'm going to bring this leprosy, this seras, on the house. And the basic uh, process is you go to the Kohen, Kohen, and the Kohen will tell you, okay, empty out the house because we don't want to, we don't want to make uh, anything impure. It's in the house because of the saras, and they lock up the house for a week, and he comes back, and and if it stays the same or gets a little bit bigger, they're going to take out the stones, they're going to replace the stones, and if it comes back, they're going to demolish the house. So the the taking out of the stones was like the marker, right? That you all of a sudden you found gold and silver when you took out those stones. So first of all, it's fascinating, right? You. You thought that this was a tragedy, that your house was being knocked down, and you just found out you're a millionaire. You won the lottery, right? So you go from, right, your emotions are flying. But here's how it worked. If you're a righteous person, so God says a righteous person doesn't have to suffer. So the wall will collapse on its own, you'll find the money. If you're an in-between guy, so God puts the tzaras, the markers there. And if you repent, 
So God says, okay, now he deserves that gold and silver. Till now, he didn't deserve the gold and silver. Now that he's done some repentance, now he does deserve the gold and silver. Okay, so God's going to leave it the same, make it grow a little bit, and they'll knock out the bricks, and sure enough, there's the gold and silver, and everybody's happy. But if the guy doesn't repent, so God's going to take away the tsaras. So you're not going to knock down the stones. So you didn't repent. Now the question is, is a guy who's wicked, is he smart enough to figure out that, oh, if God took it away, I'm a rotten guy, let me dig and find the tsaras. I don't know. Right? But I, in, my, in my understanding of what's going on, the, um, the, the wicked guy is not going to know that he's sitting on buried treasure. The in-between guy has to suffer a little bit. He deserves to suffer. But through the repentance, now he deserves to find the gold and silver. And if you're a, if you're a, uh, uh, a righteous person, so now everything is beautiful, everything is good, and uh, the wall just collapse on its own. Now, also, by the way, there's another facet to um, Saras on the house. And that is, if you're a stingy person, well, we always talk about measure for measure. You're a stingy person, or you're somebody who borrows stuff and never returns it. You know, I lend out books. I don't mind. It's getting used. But sometimes I, I need those books. And sure enough, over Passover, I was looking for one of those books. I said, you know, I for sure lent it out. And the guy never returned it. It's not, in, it's not, it's not important in, enough to him to return stuff he borrows. He put it on his shelf. He forgot about it. Okay, it happens, you know. But uh, the, the priest tells you when you come to the priest and you say, you know, I, I left. I think I saw this tsaras on my wall. So he says, empty everything out of your house. So everything's on your front lawn. So if you're the kind of guy that's, that's holding people's stuff, hey, that's my, that's my book. Right? If you're a stingy guy, you told me you didn't have a shovel to lend me. Anyways, the music is playing. I hope you guys enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Till next time, don't forget to think about it. Every room inside is filled